Hello, and welcome back to Scouting the Culture. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy. You can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me once again is Vincent Richardson, managing editor at The Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. It's been a while. It's been yeah. a few months since we had a chance to, you know, to record, but I'm excited. I'm excited that football is almost back. Training camp starts this week, and I'm excited for, you know, what we have in front of us in terms of this roster. Um, after yeah. taking victory laps this offseason about how well Scott Fitterer um, did as his first year as a GM with the dressing our roster needs, I think, you know, it's finally to see how these guys look, look and pass. Yeah. So I'm excited to see, you know, like, you know, if they can actually play versus just look good on paper. Um, the most recent news that happened with the Panthers is the extension of Taylor Moten. And a lot yeah. of fans were really excited about that. Um, I know we've had some thoughts about Taylor Moten going back, you know, to when we was doing the original Scouting the Culture episodes. Um, what do you think about the, the Taylor Moten signing? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's that surprising. I, I, I know there was kind of a little bit of uncertainty before the deadline about whether they get it done or not. Um, but I, I think w- once they tagged him, you know, this is not a team that's going to be looking to win a Super Bowl in 2021. You know, it'd be nice if they do, don't be wrong. And as always, it's, it's possible for teams to get hot on, you know, before the 2015 season, we weren't saying it was a Super Bowl contender necessarily. But I, I think this is a team that's more looking to compete over the next sort of three or four years and the next year. And so once they tagged him, it was kind of fairly clear that they, they viewed him as part of the long-term build rather than just trying to trying to keep him around for an extra year because I'm not sure what, what that would have achieved in of itself. So, um, yeah, I think it was, it was pretty clear there was a lot of interest in getting it done. Um, the money, I mean, it was always going to be a lot. Um, I, I think, I mean, the Ryan Ramchick re-signing the Saints, that, that kind of contract probably didn't help the Panthers in the negotiations. Um, right. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, Moten didn't get quite the same money as Ramchick, but it was always going to be in this kind of ballpark. I think it's $18 million a year that he's right. he's getting right. as part of this four-year deal. And I think that's probably about what was kind of expected once we got to the off-season. Um, personally, it's... I think it's one of those deals where you probably end up looking back on it on two or three years' time and think that's probably a little bit generous. But if he stays healthy, he is a very good right tackle. You know, he's probably a certainly a top five to ten right tackle in, in, in the NFL. Um, even if he's not necessarily that guy who you you leave on one side against the team's top pass rusher every snap and, and, and forget about it. I, I I think he's a good player, and for a, for an offensive line that has very little certainty, it's clearly a a significant move and it does it does have sort of beneficial knock-ons elsewhere but I, I i don't think it's as bad as the uh the shaq thompson contract um that he got you know a little over a year ago um and again i i think both with shaq and taylor moton they are both exactly the kind of player you want to have on your team they're leaders they're they're you know great people they're, they're everything you want um but i think you know with shaq they got a, a good linebacker and paid him like a, an elite one and i think with with Taylor Moten, they got a very good player and paid him like an elite one. So I, I, I don't think it's a it's a deal that I don't think the Panthers got some kind of great bargain here. But I don't think it's a deal that that's going to break the back of a franchise either. You know, this is not a deal in three years' time. That I think you'll be looking at and thinking, how 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 on earth do the Panthers get out from under this? Partly just the way it's structured, but also because I think it's a it's the kind of cost of doing business overpaying that you see quite a lot in the NFL. Well, you know, I mean, I I agree with you. Uh, there was a lot of um, 
frustration from the fan base on if the if the Panthers were going to sign Taylor Moten. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty because we have this history of not taking care of players who are really, really good, you know, and, and watching them go elsewhere and, and, and do well. And especially when it concerns the offensive line, because our offensive line, you know, as a unit has been so weak, you know, for at least the past, what, you know, four or five seasons, at least. Yeah, the, the one year where you could say it was quite good was 2015. So 2015, even, so after and, that, you know. And, and even then it wasn't that good. And, and, and like, you know, 2015 was an outlier. The 2014 offensive line was absolutely terrible. So 20, I think 2013 was the last time it was genuinely good. It was really solid. And so, you know, Taylor Moten, you know, for the last at least three seasons has been the best offensive lineman by far. Yeah. And, you know, ever since I think Darrell Williams had like a, an all-pro season, you know, a few years ago. <laughs> the world's um, worst all-pro season. Yeah. Right, right. I think that was, what, 2017? Yeah, that's um, right. You know, and so, you know, Taylor Moten has been, you know, the best offensive lineman we've had since that time. And, and, and on a team where you have, you know, routinely, you know, at least three bad offensive linemen and, he, you know, him being the most consistent and solid one, you know, I think the fans just wanted to make sure that we kept that guy. And, yeah, and, and you know, to their credit, they made it happen. Um, and I'm excited about it. And, you know, and just speaking on um, the contract, you know, the, the contract to Shaq last year, I know a lot of fans are upset about that because we did, you know, pay a good player like an elite one. Um, and he's getting elite money now. He's going to be getting it for at least the next two years um, based on the contract um, restructuring and everything. And so, you know, you have Christian McCaffrey, Shaq Thompson, and Taylor Moten, who've received, you know, really big contracts in the last two seasons. Um, but to your point, I think the reason that those guys, you know, got the money that they got, you know, is because I think they represent, you know, what this staff, um, you know, wants to represent in terms of football players. Like, you know, they're yeah. good football guys. They're good guys on and off the field. They make an impact, you know, in the locker room. And and I, and I think they just represent the overall football culture that that Matt Rule wants, you know, in the organization. So, um, you know, so, you know, you're going to get people who are going to be a little down about the money. But, you know, if these guys can stay healthy and stay on the field, I think their impact kind of goes beyond the football field. So, you know, you're willing to pay a little more, you know, for that type of guy. So we'll see how it plays yeah. out. You know, uh, but, you know, at least he's locked in. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think the uh, it's worth saying that of those three, Christian McCaffrey got paid like the best player at his position because he probably is the best player at his position. Like I think of those three, McCaffrey is the one where you have no qualms about it. Other, other, you know, ignoring like the positional value of running backs, but like if you're going to pay running back, you pay McCaffrey is the running back in the NFL that you pay. So yeah, I, I think. And, and I agree with that. I mean, I won't lie. You know, when McCaffrey got paid, I was frustrated, you know, not because he didn't deserve to be paid like the best player in the league. I think I was frustrated last season because there was a lot going on. You know, we were, Moving on from Cam Newton, I think we had just moved on from him or had just been identified that we we're going to move on from him. And then we were paying Christian McCaffrey. And I, all I could think of last year is what everybody really knew was going to happen. We were going to be bad. Yeah. And in the midst of preparing to be a bad team, a rebuilding team, to have the highest paid running back in the league just didn't seem to make sense when there were so many holes on the roster. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the numbers, you know, they they weren't all that bad. It just in the moment it felt wrong. Um, I was yeah. thinking yesterday as I was driving, 
I don't know why I'm always thinking football, but I was thinking yesterday about Christian McCaffrey and, you know, his impact on this team, you know, compared to other running backs in the NFL and their impact on their teams. And you have um, top running backs like Derrick Henry um, in Tennessee. You have Dalvin Cook in, in Minnesota. Obviously, Alvin Kamara in New Orleans, um, Saquon Barkley in New York. But I don't think any team is as dependent on their running back than the, than the Carolina Panthers in, in this offense. I think um, a lot of those guys are good. You know, even going to Nick Chubb, I left them out, I think. You know, but you know, all those guys are good, and they mean a lot to their teams. But I really think our offense is really designed so much around what Christian can do. Um, more so than any of the other teams, you know, yeah. and, and maybe you can argue Derek Henry. Yeah, yeah, in a very, in a very different way. Derek Henry is kind of the foundation yeah. of all that. Yeah, in a different way. But Christian, you know, from what he can do um, as a pass catcher, you know, and a running back, uh, we saw, you know, what we missed last year, you know, by not having him in the games, you know, how oh, different the offense was and not being able to score in the red zone. So um, I'm excited to have him back, you know, and, you know, honestly, no more than some of the other things that we talk about, you know, I think having Kristen back in this offense um, with our new quarterback, you know, is going to be really helpful, you know, to, to the offense and, you know, maybe adding another running back, you know, in rotation to, to kind of spell him and keep him fresh, you know, is going to be important too. I think we're going to run the ball a lot more, but we'll get into that. Um, yeah. Overall, you know, this is the first week of camp. What is your overall feelings about, you know, this team going into camp this week? Um, I think I'm broadly optimistic. I, well, I think I'm broadly optimistic with a couple of potentially massive caveats. Um, I think defensively, I expect the team to get quite a bit better. Um, right. Partly because it's, it was a very young team last year that is still developing and partly because they have added some genuinely very good pieces to it. And I'm not sure they've lost anything on defence that you really worry about losing, if that makes sense. I... I <laughs> You know, I can't think of anything we lost in on defense this year at all. No, no. I can't think of one person that that isn't here anymore that we would miss. I think Trey, Trey Boston is potentially a guy who could make some kind of impact. I think you know, losing KK Short. I think I mean Zach Kerr on a, on a mind note of someone who was just very good at the, what they what they were asked to do. Um, but you know the addition of Hassan Reddick, um, the addition of Jason Horn, and the development of the guys like Burns, Brown, Chin. I. I think this is a defense that maybe isn't going to take that step to being elite elite, but I think could be genuinely a very good, encouraging young defense. Um, offensively, I'm not sure that's. I don't think they've necessarily taken a step back, but I'm not sure there's a clear step forward either. Um, I agree. And I think for that step forward to happen, it's going to have to either come at the hands of Sam Donald or it's going to have to come under the guidance of Joe Brady. I think the Panthers need one of those two ideally both of them to take a really big step forward for that offense to take that, that, that leap. Because I think if, you know, Christian McCaffrey being healthy obviously makes a big impact and, and that shouldn't be underrated, but you know, Curtis Samuel's gone, um, but you bring in Dan Arnold and uh, uh, to Terrace Marshall and some, and some other guys as well. And, you know, the offensive line, you lose O'Kung, but you add, you know, you draft Brady Christensen, you add Irving and Alfine. You know, Dana Staley's back healthy. Greg Little potentially takes a step. You know, you Deontay Brown, David Moore. You know, there are there are reasons. There are sort of the pros and cons seem to kind of balance offense, with the potential caveat of Darnold taking a leap or Joe Brady really putting it together. So I think those are two guys who have a 
have the potential to really take this team to a different level this year. I agree with all of that, um, especially, you know, for me and a lot of people who follow me on Twitter, you know, if you follow me for the last, you know, two or three years, I've been on Twitter, I guess two years, um, you know, with Panthers culture. I love defense. I, I believe in defense. I understand that in modern NFL, it, it don't necessarily win you championships, but I, 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 I came up, you know, in the school of defense winning championships. And so the, the thing that was hard for me to watch over the last two seasons was having a really bad, really porous run defense. You know, back in 2019, I think we were second in the NFL in sacks, but we were like dead last against the run. And we were rushing yeah, that, that was pretty much the worst run defense in modern NFL history, the 2019 Panthers. It was truly awful. People, and people don't talk about it enough, you know, in terms of how bad we were in 2019. We had the worst historically bad rushing defense and for me the way I grew up understanding the game of football um, even when I played you know in my young young days you know the the fundamental way to approach football was run the football and stop the other team from being able to run the football and watching us get gashed in in 2019 you know and especially that game against the the 49ers it was probably like the the worst experience I've ever had as a football fan um, watching that. And then we went into 2020. Um, obviously, they wanted to address the run defense. That's why a guy like Derrick Brown was was picked at pick number seven. You know, and you were hoping that, you know, we would be a lot better, you know, against the run. You know, but we really weren't all that good against the run in 2020 either. And and so, you know, again, we weren't good against the run. We weren't good on, you know, third down, you know, you know, against third and long, you know, and couldn't get off the field in general. So, you know, seeing this team you know, make the, um, the the acquisitions on defense that they've made across the defensive line. You know, you mentioned um, um, Hassan Reddick, you know, but then you have the the the, the Corn Jones, who's a you know really solid run stopper. You have you know Morgan Foss, who's more of a pass rusher. Um, but then you have the you know the the acquisition of Denzel Perriman, um, Jermaine Carter. You know, can step up. You know, seeing these guys kind of form up and seeing what they can actually become across that front seven is very exciting to me for the defense. And so I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how those guys look and pass. You know, you can kind of feel the swag when, you know, you've seen some of the guys interviewed this offseason. Um, you know, Brian Burns was on Good Morning Football and he was talking about, you know, what, you know, he wanted to do and how he was growing as a leader. But, you know, the, the sack competition between him and, and Reddick. Um, I think, you know, a, a guy like, um, Jones, you know, across the front, you know, can kind of take some double teams on and maybe um, help Derrick Brown become a better vertical pass rusher. Um, and we know he's still disruptive against the run, you know, but then I want to see guys like, you know, Morgan Fox and and seeing what he can do. You know, he had the benefit of playing alongside um, Aaron Donald, you know, for the last couple of seasons. And, you know, obviously he had six sacks last year, I believe, you know, yeah. you know, from, you know, being able to benefit from those double and triple teams against Donald. He won't get that, you know, kind of freedom in Carolina, but I'm hoping that, you know, that he can still produce, you know, when he gets opportunity. And we still got guys on the team like um, Gross Matos, yeah. you know, coming into his second year. And I think he's getting lost in all this hype about the new pass rusher, like, you know, Hassan Reddick, you know, being paired with Brian Burns, you know, like last year, he was considered the second best pass rusher in the draft. Um, and we got him in the second round. So, you know, now he comes into year two. Um, bodies more mature, 
you know, hopefully he gets a little bit bigger. And yeah, so no, really see him being able to play some inside and outside too, you know, or passing down. So I'm, I'm excited for this whole unit, but they have to be able to put it together. And that second level, um, you know, headline right now by Shaq Thompson coming back as the leader on the second level, you know, now having Jermaine Carter, you know, who looks like he's ready to step into his role. Denzel Perryman is there um, as inside linebackers. Um, I want to see them step up and, 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 and take away the things that teams really were taking advantage of last year. And, um, you know, obviously you have J.C. Horn in the secondary, um, you know, and, and that, you know, if he can be what they think he is, and I see a lot of comparisons to Jalen Ramsey, don't know if he's on that level yet. I hope he is. Um, I hope he can be like that. You know, eventually it's a lot to put on a rookie, you know, cornerback to come in and expect him to be locked down. You can look at Jeffrey Okuda last year. You know, he struggled a bit as a rookie, as the, you know, the top corner taken. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to think, you know, it's a lot to expect a guy like that to, to step in on week one and just be elite, you know, but he has the traits. Um, he has to stay healthy. He has to be disciplined. And um, I'm, I'm just overall, I'm excited. Especially, and I haven't even talked about Jeremy Chen and seeing how he transitions, you know, to the, to the third level. I know he probably still plays some linebacker, you know, but just seeing him go into year two, build on his stellar rookie season, Man, there's a lot to be excited about. But then, you know, with that excitement, I'm, I'm kind of like brought back to earth because then it's like, okay, the defense should be better. Don't know how much better, but, you know, just on paper, just based on their overall energy, we should be better. Like you said, I don't know how much better the offense is going to be. And I think that's because I don't know who – Sam Donald really is yet. And so that said, you know, we have a few areas um, that we are very interested in watching. Um, the first one is the most important position on the football field, uh, probably the one that gets too much praise, you know, for winning and, 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 and too much grief for losing. But, you know, that's the way the NFL is designed. That's the way the game is designed. And, and for us this year, that guy, Sam Donald, what do you think Sam Donald is going to bring to the team and what does Sam Donald have, have to do to improve his play from the guy we've seen in his first three years in the NFL? Okay, so I think there's kind of a few things to unpack. I, I, I think the first is it's worth acknowledging that the Jets did not put him in a good position to succeed. You know, their, their, their offensive line was truly awful. Um, and I don't think that the offensive scheme was particularly good at all. You know, there are a lot of times where he had no chance to throw because he got hit before he reached the bottom of his drop. And there were times when even when he did, there just was nobody open to throw to. So I, I think being better than the Jets or putting him in a better position than the Jets should not be a particularly high bar. Um, that being said, I, I think he clearly does have some arm talent. Um, and there's a reason why he was the third overall pick. Like he, he definitely has a time to get it done. I think the biggest thing for him is eliminating the like head scratching mistake that has kind of characterized him all the way back to USC. Because he, even even as a draft prospect, he always had the kind of complete clanger in him. You know, the, the ball that you just you have no idea what he sees. He just seems to throw it to to you know just just terrible decisions with no kind of prompting with just just the kind of thing that makes coaches you know 
bring their heads and gets people fired. So I, I think the biggest thing that has to happen is he has to eliminate those players or at least keep them to a bare minimum. You know, every quarterback makes mistakes. Like no quarterback goes 40 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like even very, very good, you know, Alex Smith type quarterbacks make mistakes. Right. Right. It's just about the density of them compared to the good plays. And I think like the key thing they really want, they, they clearly want him to work on and they, 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 the priority for them this, this offseason in, in regards to Donald is just getting him to work as part of the process. Just, you know, make the plays that are there. Every now and then you will be asked to make a play outside of the scheme. But 70, 80% of the time, make the throw that's there. You know, take a drop, go through your reads, find the right option and throw it. And, and just, just if you can consistently do that well, particularly in the sort of 5, 10, 15 yard range, then there will be chances to throw the ball deep. And there will be times when the pocket breaks down and you have to make something happen off script. But those are the exceptions, not the basis of your game. Your game cannot be about dropping back and trying to loft it 40 yards. You know, unless, you're, unless you build your whole offense around that, which then they're not. Like, there's no indication that they will. They're not going to be the Chiefs. This is not going to be sort of like three go routes on every play and just pick your option. So it, the key is working the short options, taking those five, seven, ten yard passes. And if he can do that consistently, then his talent should allow him to elevate the rest. So what, what Teddy was never able to do last year was to then elevate beyond that 10, 15 yard pass. Right. Whereas what Donald has not proven he can do is take that 10, 15 yard pass. So yeah, I think so they're, if, kinda, they, they're, they're very, um, I don't know, like diabolical, you know, you know, as opponents to each other in terms of their their game styles, you know, because I heard Teddy say last year before the season started, um, you know, I think he was down working out with with the guys in Miami and on his Instagram or something. He was explaining that you know there's always somebody open in Joe Brady's offense, right? You know, based on the play design, there's always a guy who's going to be open, and your job is just to find that guy. And like you said, you know, for you know, for, for as much, you know, grief as he got for being a guy who didn't pass beyond the sticks or just made short passes, like the the play was kind of designed to always give you that guy. That guy is always mm-hmm. open. So you saw as a result, you know, for, the you know, a good chunk of the season, he was top, you know, top two, top three in completion percentage because mm-hmm. he routinely found that guy. As you just said, you know, he didn't have the ability to, to make a play outside of, those, you know, those type of plays, even though, you know, he has some deep balls, you know, that he completed, you know, 20 plus yards in the air, but routinely that's the throws he made. Um, you know, it, there's a stat out there for Sam Donald where he's, you know, near dead last in the NFL, you know, for his completion percentage with a clean pocket, you know, and it's probably because he wasn't routinely at hitting those throws, those easy ones yeah. like you just mentioned. Um you know, do you think there's anything in his game that limits him from being able to be a good guy, you know, a guy who can do that well, um, consistently? I mean, I mean, it's it's hard to know until you get get put in that situation. I mean, I I, I think the thing is he's still quite young, and so it, right. it's you, you know he's not necessarily tied into exactly who he is yet. Yeah, this is not Ryan Fitzpatrick who's been around forever, and if you sign Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know exactly what you're getting, the good right, and the bad. Right. Right. Um, this is more a case, I think, where he needs to make some really significant steps fairly quickly in his career. You know, the next year or two is going to determine whether he is a, a guy who stays as a franchise quarterback 
a guy who is ends up you know bouncing around at the bottom of rosters or a guy who is always on that fringe. Right. Um, and I think for, the Panthers are basically placed a bet that they think he can take that step and they've got to help him do it. And and it's one of those things where there are lots of things that need to get better. He needs to be more accurate. He needs to show better pocket awareness. He needs to be better decisions for the ball. And, you know, ultimately he needs to, to be able to, to stay calmer, if that makes sense, to be more, yeah. to more, more meticulous in what he does. But at the same time, he was put in about as bad a position as you could be put in as a quarterback in the NFL. You know, the, the Jets were... I did a tape breakdown on Sam Donald when they traded for him. You can go and find other pirate reports. Um, and it, it was tough watching him because almost everything that could go wrong around him did go wrong. You know, you know, the protection was awful. There was nobody open half the time. The play calling was unimaginative and easy to sort of predict at times. And it, it, it's, he was not put in a position to succeed. You know, you, you always hear this from coaches. We need to put players in a position to succeed. And, and they didn't do that with Sam Darwin. The Panthers should do that better. Whether he then takes the opportunity, that's kind of the bit, it's just kind of the unknowable at this point. You know, yeah. having not seen him in a good position in the NFL, it's quite hard to know what he would do with that. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, that, that sentiment around Sam Donald, because often quarterbacks are picked high in the draft because the team that they're being picked to go to and help save is a very bad team right in this case sam donald was picked up by um i think his coach the original coach was todd bowles and whoever he had as his offense coordinator so i don't i I can't remember what that offensive scheme looked like i know todd bowles is a defensive minded coach um and they had been bad and you know and and um, ironically, you know, he was brought in right after they had signed Teddy Bridgewater and then, you know, you know, beat him out in camp. And, you know, eventually, you know, I don't know if he beat him out on on merit more so than just sentiment that we want to go with the younger guy with the bigger arm and you know, more physical um, abilities uh, than go with the guy we can't trust coming off an injury. You know, but he still won the job. Teddy was traded away. And <laughs> I tweeted back then. Totally didn't know that they would ever become part of my fan journey. <laughs> but I tweeted back then that, you know, not sticking with Teddy, you know, for that year might be the end for Todd Bowles um, because they were still going to have an opportunity to let Sam sit behind Teddy for a year, not be rushed into a starting position um, and just, you know, do like, you know, Pat Mahomes and, you know, other guys have done across the years and just cannot be hurried into being required to be the guy, especially in New York. Um, but that didn't happen. He was thrown to the wolves and he didn't play all that bad for a rookie, but he didn't play all that great either. And Todd Bowles was fired. In comes Adam Gase, um, who hadn't done particularly well in Miami. Um, and he was asked to come in probably because he was an offensive minded guy, you know, in terms of his, his reputation to fit Sam Donald or to elevate Sam Donald, I should say. And I remember thinking at that time, you know, that all I can remember you know, from watching Adam Gates across the years was that his best season was tied to Peyton Manning in yeah. Denver. Uh, when De- when Peyton Manning, you know, was picked up by Denver and he went out to Denver and set all those offensive records, you know, did things we had never seen offensively to that point. Adam Gates was the offensive coordinator and all of a sudden he was the hottest name on the market. And I always thought that his success in terms of his offensive genius was tied to 
Peyton Manning's offensive genius. And, you know, eventually, you know, him having to do it without a Peyton Manning exposed him. And so, yeah, you know, for the last two seasons, Sam Donald has played under his tutelage, under his guidance. And I hate, you know, that he was in that situation. Um, I, I was never a big fan of Sam Donald's talents, um, but I do know that he was playing for someone who wasn't particularly great um, as advertised. And so um, I don't like guys who get excuses, you know, for not being good, you know, because too many guys don't get that same excuse. But like you said, you know, you've done the film study. A lot of other NFL analysts have done the, the studies of the Jets offense and all of you all say the same thing. He was probably in the worst position imaginable to be successful. So now the onus is on Carolina, is on Joe Brady, Matt Rule, um, Sean Ryan, that's the QB coach, to take what they believe they saw and actually make him or help make him a better quarterback. All they can do is design plays and put him in positions to succeed. You know, the other part that you mentioned is on Sam Donald. Yeah. He has to make, you know, take that step himself. He yeah, yeah, yeah. Put in the work to become a better QB. And honestly, Vince, I hope he does, man. You know, like, oh, yeah. I, really, I really hope that Sam Donald figures it out. You know, the best case scenario for me as a fan is that Sam Donald figures this thing out, you know, under Joe Brady with Matt Rule, that they give him that confidence. And now he becomes, you know, the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers for the next 10 years. Um, I, I've seen that happen to a guy who was a high draft pick. Um, I think it was back in 2006, 2005, I can't remember, but it was Alex Smith. Yeah, yeah. Who That's didn't, awesome. Yeah, who didn't um, play as well as advertised, you know, had a guy picked behind him, Aaron Rodgers, you know, who, you know, turned out to be one of the greatest of all time, you know, at least in talent. You know, but, you know, the pressure was always on him, you know, and, and people thought he was a bust. In comes Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco, um, Greg Roman as offense coordinator, and they totally turned around his career where he never became, you know, some dominant elite quarterback, but he became a winning quarterback. And, yeah. You know, a guy who could take care of the football, a guy who can make the right throws, um, you know, and, and, and just be what was needed for that team. Um, I, I don't want to compare Sam Donald to anybody because I don't know what his ceiling is because he's so young, you know, 24 years old. Um, but I do think his best attribute right now is his youth, you know, combined with having three years of experience. And if they can somehow get him to see what he needs to see, to take the throws that are there and just protect the football in general. Um, and then, like you said, um, be a little, a little calmer, you know, at the position. Um, I think, you know, we can see an improvement from him. And I hope that we do. So, I mean, I'm hoping that Sam does well. Um, and, you know, one of the things, you know, that any young QB needs, you know, to be successful. And I think, you know, an area that we really didn't have a lot of talent in last year, you know, we had some, but I don't know if we used it properly or whatever you want to say. Um, you know, I think every young QB needs a, a really dependable tight end. You look across the NFL and and most of the young QBs who are doing well, they all have dependable tight ends. You can go to Patrick Mahomes and have a Kelsey, 
um, you know, Lamar Jackson and Andrews, almost every good young QB who's, who experienced early success has a good tight end. Um, and the Panthers did address the tight end position this year. Yeah. Um, you know, we picked up um, Dan Arnold. It's hard for me to say that after saying Sam Arnold so many, <laughs> Sam Donald so many times. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, Dan Arnold. Um, they drafted uh, Tommy Tommy Tremble. Um, you have Ian Thomas still on the roster. I think Colin Thompson. Yeah. Um, what do you over? You know, what do you think about our tight end position overall? I think the tight end group is quite interesting because you you've you've got sort of three quite different players. I mean, I think Colin Thompson is still on the roster and I think he has a, you know, he, he will make the team on special teams, not not on, on offense. I can't I can't see him getting a huge role in barring injury or something. Uh, but you know, you, you've got three very different players and it, it's not quite clear how they're all going to fit together yet. Um, I mean, Dan Arnold is a very good receiver. Um, he's not in the sort of, you know, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Kittle tier. Of receiver, but he is, you know, he's a converted receiver. He's pretty quick, pretty good route runner, uses leverage really well. Big, uh, tall guy, really good in the, the air in the red zone. So I think he is clearly going to help them throwing the ball. Right. Um, what he's not necessarily going to help them with is blocking. Um, right. he's he, really slight, right? He is getting bigger. I mean, he was listed at 225 in Arizona. I think they're now listing at 240. I'm not totally oh, sure that's... exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not totally sure where where how, which of those numbers is more reliable. Right. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it makes sense. He's a converted receiver. He is still adding weight and stuff. Yeah. Um, but just technically, he's a, he was not. I mean, you go back and watch his tape in Arizona. Technically, he was really quite a poor blocker. Um, and again, understandable given that he was playing receiver about eighteen months beforehand. Um, but I, I, unless he makes a massive stride as a blocker, it's hard to see him being the eighty percent of snaps type guy. Like, you know, if, if if you're going to run the ball even a reasonable amount, it's going to be hard to have him on the field all the time because he, he's going to be a, a, a vulnerability unless he's just split out wide. So yeah. I, I I don't think he's you know he's, he can be a really useful player when he's on the field, uh, but he's not necessarily going to be an every snap guy. On the other end of the spectrum, Tommy Tremble is you know was you know he's a rookie, so it's always hard to know exactly what you're going to get in a rookie. But he yeah. was legitimately, you know, probably one of the very best blocking tight ends in college football last year. You know, in goal line situations, if it's fourth and one and you, you want to run the ball, he's probably going to be the guy that lines up the fullback. Yeah. He's probably going to get a reasonable number of snaps um, in, in sort of like more runs type situations. Um, but he's not proven at all as a receiver. And well, I think they they have hopes that he, he can develop in that regard. It's not going to be taken for granted that he's going to really be anything. You know, he has probably has more talent to develop than Chris Manhurts, but he has not shown that he can be a better than receiver than Chris Manhurts. Right. Um, and then you've got Which Ian Thomas because it's not hard to do. You know, Chris. No, Manhurts no, no. Can, you know, brick for hands. You know, but you know, I hope Tommy Tremble can. I mean, I mean, man. Yeah, I mean, Tremble. The issue with Tremble is he was he wasn't really challenged as a receiver at Notre Dame, and so it's hard to know, like. He did have some couple of frustrating drops, but when you get the ball thrown to you nine times in a season, the fact that you have two drops is kind of quite hard to really take into account. You know, you, you know if you've been throwing the ball four hundred times and had sixty drops, now that's a that's a concerning pattern. But it's quite hard to make too much of two targets, basically. Um, well, I mean, I watch Notre Dame football, man. You know, like you know, I'm a fan. 
Um, I'm a Notre Dame fan from childhood. And Tommy Tremble is a guy, you know, where when I watched him, I saw, you know, number 24. And usually I saw him lining up in that fullback role, um, more of an H-back tight role. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine him as a tight end one um, yeah. in an offense because he, he wasn't even that at Notre Dame, um, but he has a lot of versatility. Like, to me, he's more like a Kyle Juszczyk. Um, without, he's not as good as Kyle is, um, you know, from what I've seen. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of Kyle, you know, this time in Baltimore and San Francisco. and But he's that type of tweener, you know, dude, you know, that can play tight end. He can beat you from tight end. You know, he has to make the catch, you know, <laughs> when he's lined up that way. Um, but, you know, what he can do as a fullback, you know, is where his value comes because he's more versatile from that role and from that position on the field than I think, you know, lined up as an inline tight end. And so, um, you know, you know, I don't know what their plan is for him. I think my thought when he was drafted was like, okay, you know, you got him, I think, in the third round. Yeah. Um, if you're going to get a guy like Tremble, then I expect for you to have a plan for him. And right yeah, now, yeah. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. No, I, I think that's the thing is, is uh, yeah, I, I think the one guy we haven't mentioned so far is Ian Thomas, um, right. who was another guy who was drafted to develop. And every year does some really nice things, impressed coach says some nice things, and then hasn't ever quite taken that step. But I think right. what he what he does offer right now is he is he is probably the only one who looks like they are have the potential to be that number one tight end. Not yeah. because he's amazing, but because Tommy Tremble is not proven at all as a receiver, and Dan Arnold is a potential liability as a blocker, and Ian Thomas is just pretty good at both. You know, he, right. he's he's not going to set the world on fire as a tight end and he, as a receiver, and he needs to to improve in that regard. And he's not perfect as a blocker and needs to improve in that regard, but he's good enough at both that he can be the guy that fits in between. And I think the the key this year, how they use any of the three of them, it's going to depend on how the other two do. That if Dan Arnold takes real strides as a blocker, that decreases the need to use Ian Thomas as that hybrid guy, which potentially decreases Ian Thomas's role. But if, and if Tommy Tremble takes real strides as a receiver, that also means decreases Ian Thomas's role. But if it's ultimately, in the best case scenario, they all make massive improvements and you split the snaps pretty much evenly. Yes. But essentially, how, how Tremble and, and Arnold develop is going to determine how big Ian Thomas's role is. Like if Arnold really struggles as a blocker in camp and Tremble drops everything that's thrown his way, Ian Thomas is going to be the guy that gets the majority of the snaps because he's the guy that is not going to be a weakness in either regard. I mean, yeah. personally, I think Dan Arnold is going to play a pretty significant role. I mean, I mean, just I, ultimately, there are going to be enough times where they're throwing the ball, and even if they're running the ball, it's not the end of the world if he's not the key block. You know, he's if he's away from the the the, the run on the yeah. whole. You know, he. I don't mean he plays 80% of the snaps, but I'd be surprised if he wasn't playing at least 40 to 50% of the snaps. Um, now, just out of curiosity, I know you do a lot of the, the analytics and film study. Just as a wag, you know, percentage-wise, how often were you know, how often were the Panthers in two tight end sets last year? I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but quite a bit. I mean, I mean, okay. it's one of those things where but there's also this bit, and I think this is something that'd be really useful, and we'll probably find out this season. I think that that's the one really good thing we'll find out this season is both Phil Snow and Joe Brady were limited by personnel at times last year. Phil Snow probably more so than Joe Brady, 
And what that means is a lot of what they ran was not necessarily what they wanted to run, but what they felt that they could run. And we've heard this a lot about the defence in terms of their use of man coverage, and they couldn't run man coverage because they just didn't have the people to play it. So they, they had to use them because they, they didn't have man calls. Um, and the same is kind of true on offense. And I think this is something that we, we can get to in a second. But the Panthers really only had three dependable receivers last year. Yeah. Which, which meant that unless you were going to play all three of those guys for 100% of the snaps, which <laughs> you're just not going to do, you have right. to play two running backs or two tight ends a lot. Because if your fourth wide receiver is Seth Roberts, who just can't, you know, did absolutely nothing until he got cut. Or I mean, Cooper or... Yeah, I mean, but yeah, yeah, they, they did not have guys that they could put on the field as an up. You know, Joe Brady came to Carolina and talked a lot about playing four and five receiver sets and playing loads of open formations and having five man protections. Right. And ultimately ended up running loads of two and three tight end formations because he didn't have the receivers to play with to play. Right. Now, whether he can whether he can make it work even when he has those receivers is up to him, and that's something we will have to see. But the Panthers almost looked at times last year like the Panthers were playing people because they couldn't play other people you know yes they didn't have that fourth receiver to stick on you know they couldn't go four by one and because McCaffrey wasn't there they couldn't you know Mike Davis can't do the same things as a receiver and so you yeah. can't you can't create the same mismatches yeah we could, using we could the stress back. the defenses out because even back going to uh going back to LSU when Joe Brady was there he had CEH and yeah I say it was it was Elaire. Um, out of the backfield, who was, you know, basically his Christian McCaffrey at the college mm-hmm. level. And so they could stress defenses out on every down, you know, with throwing four receivers out, having that guy coming out of the backfield. And, you know, now that you say that, you know, it's easier to look back in hindsight with what Claire didn't think, like, you know what, he, as much grief as we give Joe Brady, and I'm still going to put the pressure on him. Um, oh, absolutely. He really didn't have the personnel talent-wise, you know, that he was accustomed to having at every role in his offense because of the lack of depth. Um, you know, kind of switching gears to that, I don't want to get away from tight ends, but I want to make sure we address every group. It brings us to our next, you know, um, area that we're interested in watching is the wide receiver depth. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so we talked about the tight ends. We talked about you know, the addition of Dan Arnold, um, the addition of Tommy Trumbull, Ian Thomas, you know, and, you know, Colin Thompson, different roles they may have. But the area I think that we have the deepest in, deepest in an offense is the is the wide receiver room. And yeah, probably. You know, we added Terrence Marshall in the second round. I personally don't think they would have drafted him in the second round without plans to play him and play him early. Um, yeah. You know, but we also had added um, David Moore, you know, through free agency. Uh, we picked up Shai Smith in the sixth round, who's a talented you know, smaller receiver um, out of South Carolina, um, by the way, you know, my homeboy from my hometown. Um, <laughs> and then you have, um, you know, guys returning like Brandon Zilstra, you know, who they're really high on. Um, and I, I like Brandon as well. Um, and then you continue to go, you know, down the depth chart, you know, you know, with the receivers and all of these people just add, oh, I forget um, Omar Bayless, who they were high on last year before he was injured. Um, adding to DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson at the top of that depth chart, you know, at wide receiver. Um, a lot of wide receivers, um, a lot of guys who I believe, you know, add value and add depth, you know, that we didn't have last year. I think last year we carried, what, six receivers? I think so, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah we carried six receivers um, entering the season. 
I'm only thinking, and you know, I'm only I'm only guessing based on what we saw last year that they'll keep around six this year. Yeah, I think six um, six or seven would be my guess. Yeah, six or seven. And so, if you had to guess, who would be your top receivers right now without seeing anybody do anything in camp? Like, who do you think would be the top six? Um, I think, I mean, obviously DJ and Robbie are going to be the, the starting pair. Um, I think it's quite hard to say on Terrace Marshall because he hasn't, they've, they've clearly been keeping him out, trying to get him healthy for, for yeah. training camp. And that's been, they've been fairly upfront about that's what they're doing from the start. It isn't one of those things where they sort of retrospectively said, oh, no, 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 we really, they, they, from day one, that was kind of what they've said. So that's that's something. I think he he's potentially going to, I'm not sure how much impact he makes as a rookie. I think he'll be quite good. I think he can make an impact in certain ways. I don't know whether he'll be the guy who plays 80% of the snaps in the, the slot. I think what, what he does is he allows you to move Robbie Anderson inside more into the slot where I think Robbie is best. I think, I think Robbie is, they, I think they want to play him in the slot more. I think they want to play Tiffers Marshall as that, that outside receiver when they can. And, and the, I think Robbie will be the number two receiver. But I think when, when, when they play three receiver sets, a lot of his, his snaps are going to come from the slot. Um, which is something he seemed quite excited about when he spoke to the media um, during OTAs, what it's worth. Um, I think if you look at the other receivers, I think David Moore is probably the least likely to get cut of the rest. I think he's fairly dependable. He's he's proven he can be effective in different ways in Seattle. Um, yeah. You know, like 2018, 2019, he was mainly like a deep threat guy, was yeah. more of that vertical guy. And then last year, he played more of a possession type role and played it quite yeah. well. Um, I, I think he's probably a better version of someone like Jarius Wright is probably where he's going to, maybe he, he can do more down the field than Jarius Wright could, but he's, he's a useful cog, even if he's not going to be a feature player. Like he's a, he would be a poor man's number three receiver. He's a decent right. number four receiver and he's a good number five receiver. So I, 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 I would be surprised if he gets further down than number five on the depth chart. I think the question is whether he's four or five, basically. Um, yeah. And then the other guys who are part of the equation, I mean, Keith Kirkwood um, obviously was injured last year. I'm right. personally not that much of a fan, but I'm willing to be, I, just, I haven't seen that much of him there, but you know, he's somebody who has been part of the conversation and has a chance. Same with um, uh, Ish Hyman, who yes. got some, some good reviews during OTAs. You know, another guy who is just, who is going to push the, the, the boundary and force the competition right down to the spots. Um there are a couple of interesting ones. I mean, I think Shai Smith is probably the next most likely. I, I think he's probably the, the next favourite to make, to make the roster. Um, yeah. I, I think he's a guy that needs a good camp. Um, yeah. As in, as in he, he's he's good enough that I think he, he can be quite good. But he's a guy that if he has a bad camp, I think he could get... Like, he's not safe from being cut if he has a bad camp. Um, I don't think anyone beyond the top four guys is safe. And then, I mean... A lot of it depends on how they want to complement things stylistically. I think Zilstra has the benefit of being a really proven special teams guy. I, you know, if, if if they take seven receivers, it wouldn't surprise me if it was six guys who they want to play on offense and Brandon Zilstra, who is just the special teams. You know, one of you know, in the same way that they kept Trent uh, Trenton Cannon last year, who did right. absolutely nothing at running back but <laughs> played special teams. I mean, I mean, I, I personally think if you're going to do that, you still have to be able to see the field. And I think the thing with someone like Zilstra is when he has played, he's done his job and he's done it quite well. Like he's not a liability when he's out there. You know, if if a couple of people get hurt and he's suddenly your wide receiver five, it's not the end of the world. So I think Zilstra right. is Zilstra has a slightly different route to some of the other guys. Um, and then you're looking at guys like Omar Bayless. I think he's kind of a different type of receiver. He's more of that bigger bodied possession outside guy. 
Um, you've got Mike, Micah Simon, the BYU guy, who is more of a speedster, though I think him and Ish Hyman are probably going to be finding quite hard. I, I, my guess is that in no particular order, the seven would be DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, David Moore, Omar Bayless, Shai Smith, um, uh, Brandon Zilstra. I think that's seven. And Terrence Marshall. Did- and, Terrence Mar- and Terrence Marshall is, is seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah it, it would be those seven. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what order, particularly sort of the the the, the four, five, six come in, four, five, six, seven. But I, I, that would be my guess. But it, it, it's one of those positions where it, someone has a really good camp or a really bad camp amongst that group. You know, they're not going to cut Robbie Anderson. They're not going to cut DJ Moore and they're not going to cut Terrence Marshall. They're probably not going to cut David Moore either. Right. Everyone else is going to kind of have to win their spot. No one else is, is safe. Yeah. And, and that's where the, you know, the, the competition is. The competition starts probably right after um, David Moore. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, because, you know, there's some talent there. And, you know, like last year, if you looked at our fifth, sixth, fifth and sixth receiver, you know, like you wouldn't even imagine putting them on the football field for any stretch of time. You know, now we have the kind of talent, you know, that would be at, you know, five, six, and maybe even seven at the wide receiver depth, you know, and you're like, okay, like I would like to see them get snaps, you know, based on, you know, their ability. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for all the guys and, 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 I, and I hope, you know, that, you know, that the cream rise to the top, you know, because I think, you know, they intentionally went out and addressed the wide receiver position. Um, I think it's also going to be key, you know, going into negotiations, um, you know, this next off season too, because Robbie's on the, the last year of his deal, you know, he only had yeah. a two year deal. And, um, and DJ is, is entering the point where he's going to have to start negotiating his, um, his extension if they, you know, if they decide to, to give him one beyond, you know, his five years. And yeah, so, uh, I, I, I imagine DJ gets paid. I, I me think too, me too. Yeah. It, it, you, know, you, you mentioned right at the beginning that, you know, this team has a, has a bit of a reputation for letting sort of premier players leave. I think if you let DJ Moore leave, you then start to really question what you're doing. Not because he's like some game-changing top five NFL receiver, at least yet, but more like there's very little you, you could have say that he has done, has not done to the standard that needs to be done. You know, you, if you're a young team that's building, a very young star receiver is someone you need to keep around. Right. You know, the, 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 the crazy part about DJ Moore is I've always believed DJ Moore was a was a great talent, you know, a great physical talent. I probably have never been as high on him as some others are in terms of his being a true number one elite receiver in the NFL. But I always believe that he should be productive just based on his his physical skill set. Um, to be fair to him, you know, he hasn't had really great QB play um, in his NFL career, you know, considering his best QB has probably been, you know, the first eight games of 2018 with Cam Newton. And after that, you know, it's been a hodgepodge of injured Cam Newton, Kyle Allen, you know, um, Taylor um, Heineke, uh, going into, you know, injured Cam Newton in the beginning of 2019, and then Kyle Allen again, and then uh, Will Greer, you know, a, a, a little bit of Will Greer, and then Teddy Bridgewater last year, um, you know, which, you know, he's produced through all of it. Um, you know, which is a testament to him, you know, but I always felt like, you know, there were plays on the field, you know, where I felt like, you know, like, man, I, I need him to like make that catch. And he's made some amazing catches, you know, through the years and, you know, but then he's made some, 
some head scratching drops that I thought were like were like easy catches for somebody with this talent. Um, but way more good than bad, obviously, and his numbers show for it. Um, you know, over a thousand yards in consecutive seasons. The touchdown production hasn't been there. Um, and he even said that recently on, on Steve Smith's Cut to It podcast this week. And, and I learned a lot, you know, about DJ Moore in that interview because, you know, he, he spoke to some of the struggles he had early, you know, in the old staff believing that he had a little laziness to him. And I think, you know, subconsciously, I think that's what I was seeing, you know, was that, you know, he didn't have that fire that we expect to, you know, come from number one receivers, especially in Carolina, you know, where Steve Smith, you know, manned that role for such a long time and he was kind of deemed as the the the, the heir to Steve. Um, I learned during this interview that that's just not his style. Um, that's not who he is and, you know, and, and, you know, but he's very conscientious of the fact that he hasn't scored a lot, um, yeah. you know, in, in his career, you know, um, it, you know, his touchdown numbers aren't, you know, where his, you know, yard production has been. And he said that he's focused on getting into the end zone more. And so I want to see how he produces this year, especially going into the year that's probably going to be most crucial in terms of him getting that long-term daily seats. Um, and I, I want to I want to see him you know step it up a notch. Matt Rue said that early last year about DJ, um, you know that he needs to prove that he can be one of the top guys in the league. And I think you know he didn't do anything to hurt himself in 2020, um, but I want to see him help himself more. Yeah, no, I, I think that, 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 that it's one of those things where I, like I, I do understand what he says about that not being his start. And I do definitely think that you know not everyone is going to be Steve Smith. In fact, almost no one has ever been Steve Smith. Um, <laughs> I do think it does. You watch him at times. You think there is there is another gear in you because it's one of those because because sometimes you see that gear and when you yes. see that gear, you think that like that is that is the unstoppable player. That yeah, and it's even when he was in college. I mean, to be fair again, yes. he had an absolute mess of quarterbacks when he was in college as well. But right. there there are plays where you you remember watching him. There, there's a, a corner route he ran against Texas at Maryland um, for a touchdown, and you can't cover it. Like there's no like the way he is able to carry momentum through breaks, the way he really accelerates through the vertical cut and then breaks outside. You know, right. no NFL corner can cover that, let alone some some DB at Texas. So, right. it, you do see the plays where you think that's the all pro, and I think there are. It would be nice to see those plays more often. With that right. said, he turned 24 this off season. He has over 3,100 receiving yards and 10 career touchdowns. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I know, and that's and that's and that's the like perplexing part of him. It's like you know, as much as you see, and you like sometimes with greatness, um, you know, you look at somebody who has all the the physical gifts, and you're like, man, like I expect more of you. And then when you step back, you're like, but you've been doing so much, you know, you know <laughs> through it all, like because you make it look so effortless. And I think that's been the biggest. Uh, frustration with watching DJs because like you said, you know, like you see him at times and it's like, man, like you really got that gear. Like when he took that 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 little um, option route last year, whatever it was, you know, that he ran against Atlanta. Um, Teddy got in the ball maybe like two or three yards beyond the line of scrimmage and he just smoked everybody down the sideline. And you're like, you're clearly the best athlete on the field. You know, like yeah. <laughs> why we don't see that all the time, you know, and, and, it, and that's the part that's frustrating. When you go back and look at now, we always talk about Joe Brady's LSU offense and the, and the players that he had. Well, he has Terrence Marshall now from his offense. 
Um, obviously, CMC, you know, to me is an upgrade to what he had in in Edwards LA, you know, and we still talk yeah. about that, you know, NFL versus college. But, you know, you had Jamar Chase, who was really the dog in LSU. Like, when I look at our offense and compare it to what Joe Brady had there, I feel like DJ Moore is, is that type of guy. No, know? he is. He is absolutely. I, I, I think some of it is also about usage as well. You have to, I think. One thing that Joe Brady has not yet proven to me, and I, I know we're, we're going to touch yeah. it now, but he hasn't proven to me that he can look at the players he's got and work out how to get the absolute very most out of it. Right. And, and, right. and unquestionably, there is a degree to which if you've got 10 skill position players who are going to play a meaningful number of snaps, you can't design your offense to maximize every single one. Sometimes you need a guy to just go and do a job. You know, you know it, it, if if you've got some concept that you're trying to work to attack the field, sometimes you just need someone to run a check down, say, like a, a safety option. And you're not right. asking them to do anything special. You're just asking them to just do their job and execute. But you should try and maximise as many players as possible. I think for me, some of the biggest ways that needs to change is they need to make more out of McCaffrey, the receiver. I mean, I know he didn't play very much last year, but he was not maximised as a receiver at all. Uh, in the right. games he played, particularly the first couple of games, it was really weird how little they threw him the ball. Um, right. I think you have to find a better way of making the most out of DJ Moore as well. I think DJ Moore is best when he is working laterally or vertically. Uh, yeah, when, 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 and when he's changed, when he's the thing that he can do that almost no one else can do is is carrying momentum through high speed cuts, and particularly multiple when you have when you have a route where you, there's multiple changes of directions. He's able right. to set up the second change of direction with the first change of direction. And that's really, really valuable to give the receivers to understand that actually the key is not to create separation with your first change of direction. It's right. to put yourself in the best position to create separation with the second change of direction. Yeah, yes. it's, it's, yeah it's about positioning the defender where you want them as much as anything. Right. It's the it, it, move. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, yeah. th- there are players who really excel at that. Um, like Amari Cooper is just excellent at doing that. Right. Um, but but the, the other thing that, that, that he, need, he can do is he can run after the catch. And so you need to have, the same with Robbie Anderson, you need to have these routes where you just get the ball in their hands and just let them run because they, they're really yes. good at that. But you also need to, 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 you can't get them to run the same three routes all the time, but you need to make sure that the guys are that you're using the receivers to run the routes that maximize and not necessarily think about it as this is the X receiver and this is the Y receiver and therefore yeah, this route is run by the X receiver and this route is run by the Y receiver, but rather this guy is good at this, this guy's good at that. So if we're looking at this route concept, let's get the players running the routes that maximise them the most. So, so and that isn't necessarily always mean they have to be the first read or the second read, but you're making the most out of their talent. Because if, if, if the first read is just, a, I don't know, a 10 yards route, you're not really maximising someone like DJ Moore on that route. Whereas, okay, I mean, whereas I if mean, it's a deep I, I, post, a deep post really gets the most out of someone like DJ Moore in the way that yeah. a hitch doesn't really. Because you know, on that route, you know, going to what you explained about DJ, you know, his best ability is being able to, you know, stay fluid, you know, keep high rate of speed, you know, through his breaks. And on a post, you know, your first sale is to sell the, you know, like you're going around a corner, and then the next is to break back, you know, towards the middle of the field. And that's where he finds himself wide open a lot because he can maintain velocity through yeah, those or, breaks. Or, or even just sell a go and bend it in. I mean, there, there are different, obviously there are different yeah. ways of doing it based on leverage and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's not trivial by any means. But, right. and, and it's easy to oversimplify these things, but, but it's about making sure that you're using players effectively. 
in the same way that you know if if you have someone like Curtis, I mean Curtis Samuel was clearly asked to you, to run a very different like his role last year was very very different to what he used that right. before, and he, and he was actually really good at it. I genuinely think he really excelled in that role. But someone like Robbie Anderson wasn't necessarily maximised last year. Like Robbie Anderson right. needs to be going deep a lot. Yes, yes. In a way that DJ Moore doesn't necessarily have to be. Like DJ Moore can be really really effective in that fifteen to twenty five yards so like, and, and and if you've there's no point. Um, DJ Moore is good at jump balls, and it's easy to just uh, fall into the trend of just setting him on go routes and trying to throw the ball up to him. But he, that's right. not necessarily. Robbie Anderson is actually probably more valuable on these on those routes, and you, DJ right. Moore is better on those intermediate routes. And obviously, you know, you have to balance all the different skill sets. But I think one thing I would see from Joe Brady is that ability to to really bring the best out of the players you've got, and not just simply put players into your scheme and hope it works. Basically. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I was going to talk about offensive line nets, you know, but, you know, we're on Joe Brady, you know, because we're talking about being able to maximize the players that you have and, and use them most effectively. Um, a lot of this based on analytics and stuff that you've seen, stuff that you know through film. You know, Joe Brady is still a, a very young offensive coordinator, not just in the NFL, but, you know, people don't realize that last year was his first time really manning the offensive coordinator post. He didn't do that at LSU. He was a yeah. passing game coordinator, assisting their existing offensive coordinator. And before that, he spent time um, at the, you know, with the New Orleans Saints, you know, hence, you know, why we have this offense, you know, basically, you know, running the same type of uh, assistant type role. Last year was his first time being an offensive coordinator. And we expected so much because of his success at LSU. But I think his inexperience you know, what we call greenness, I think it showed, um, you know, often last year, um, you know, we saw the results of the plays and then oftentimes, you know, the quarterback took brunt of the, you know, the blame, you know, when something didn't go right or, you know, whoever you know, was involved, you know, they took it, you know, but I think when you look at the collective, you know, I think Joe Brady has a few areas where he needs to improve um, in order to be a better offensive coordinator, play caller, play design. You know, we spoke earlier about the fact that he didn't have the depth of talent that yeah. maybe he was accustomed to at his previous stops. You know, New Orleans always had a bunch of talent. Um, that LSU team probably had the most talented position group, um, skill, you know, skilled players in, in, in college football. But he entered Carolina where he maybe was, you know, three deep at wide receiver. His top running back, you know, missed 13 of the 16 games. Um, this year, he has more tools. He has more toys. Um, what do you want to see from Joe Brady this year now that on paper he has, you know, a full complement of, of skilled players? I mean, partly I just want to see him be a bit more of himself. I, I, I think there were times last year where it felt a little bit like they were just running some imitation Saints offense. And I, like, it's clear from what Matt Ruler said that they, they think that short passing game is the way to succeed in the NFL. That, you know, they, they want to run a short passing game and you know it's not just exclusively that, but that's going to be the basis of what they want to do. And that was a clear thing when they brought Joe Brady in. Was, it was as much about what he, his experience in New Orleans as it was about his, his experience at, at LSU. Right. I think I can understand that to a certain degree. And I do think the short passing game can be really, really effective. But you... For Joe Brady to justify his job, he has to be able to add to that. There's no point just having someone who can 
run the Saints offense somewhat well. Because otherwise you're never going to out, out-duel the Saints in that regard because they'll just run it better. You've got to be adding something to that. And I... I think the things the things that really surprised me last year was one we didn't see a lot of four and five receiver sets, and that was partly due to personnel. But I think that's I would like to see a greater use of spreading teams out, particularly because when you have players like McCaffrey and you know particularly McCaffrey, he can make a real impact if you spread teams out. If you force either you force linebackers to go out in space and cover him, or you force safeties to defend the running box, uh, and if you can really spread teams out and force them to go okay. If you stick four receivers out on the field and McCaffrey, do you put one linebacker on the field? Do you stay in dime the whole time? If you stick one linebacker on the field, how do you use that? You know, it, it creates a real problem. I'd like to see some of that forcing defenses to commit their hands and then trying to attack that. We saw bits of it last year in terms of how they approach like two high safety formations, which I think is very encouraging, but I, I want to see them build upon that. Um, the other thing is I'd like to see more RPOs. Like I understand this is not going to be a team that runs 60, 70 RPOs a game, but RPOs work. Like they, 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 you don't have to be based on everything you do, but they work. And they're really, really, they're, it's really easy to, to create an edge by using some RPOs. Yeah. You can, I, think, I think you can definitely get lost in it a little bit and you can create an entire offense that is just RPOs. And I think at times at LSU, there were just so many RPOs that it kind of that, that was the offense effectively. Yeah. Um, and, and Alabama is a little bit like that, you know, recently you know, that college football is very much going that way. You don't right. have to go college football, but you should use more RPOs. They're really effective, particularly when you have someone like McCaffrey who is going to draw attention and you have players who can leave behind defenders and create lots of, you know, you can create value after the catch. If you can create situations where you're getting the ball in DJ Moore's hands five, seven, ten yards down the field with a chance to run off the catch. Those are big plays. And right. I would like to see them make better use of that. Again, it doesn't have to be every play. I'm not saying that has to become the LSU offense, but I think at least part of the reason why you hire Joe Brady is because of what he did at LSU. And what he did at LSU was RPOs. Like really quite complex and clever RPOs. Well to insert, you know, something there, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, how this offense will look the best, you know, with having Sam Donald at the helm versus, you know, Teddy Bridgewater last year. At least in 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 theory, it feels that Sam Donald would be better suited to run the RPO than Teddy. In yeah. Theory. And I only say that because, not because Teddy wasn't athletic enough. I think they really were afraid from a durability standpoint, you know, to, to put him in those you know those type of situations too often. Um, I think Sam Donald really is seen as somebody who can really do that, um, and they can trust to do that just physically more. And I mean, I, I don't know, I, you know, I, but you know, that's that. I was I was thinking that, and so do you think that that's a probability with him that we can increase the RPO, you know, usage because they have a a a quarterback where they can trust his health. A little bit I mean, more to put them in those situations. I think so. I, I, there's kind of a couple of points to make. I think there there is a. It seems to be a misconception that you need a mobile quarterback to run RPOs. You, you yeah. don't. You, you you can literally have a statue in the pocket and run RPOs. Yeah. Obviously, what I will say is it helps to have a mobile quarterback. Yeah, if you yeah. can move, if you can move the court, one it helps if you can move the quarterback in general. Like you know, the more right. mobile your quarterback is, the better. 
But right. also helps if you can combine RPOs with read option. Like if you can add a quarterback run and a running back run, and that's you know, what I'm saying. If, yeah. if, if you if, if you turn effectively a two level option into a three level option, it's obviously better. Right. However, even even if you don't feel confident rushing your quarterback, you can still run loads of RPOs. Like you know, Joe Burrow did run the ball at times at LSU, but really mostly when things broke down or as part of yeah. a read option rather than an RPO. If if you know if you obviously again if you're going to run RPOs. 80% of the time, you probably need to add some read option element to it as well, because teams will get smart to it and try and defend the run in different ways. But if it's a yeah. wrinkle you throw in 10, 15 times a game, teams are not going to build their whole defensive game plan around stopping the RPOs. And while you can't just run, you know, high school football 101, read options, you know, crash, right. the, entire, crash the entire line one way, read the running back on the defensive end with a slant running behind it, you can't just run that 30 times yeah. a game. But if, if you're quite clever, which Joe Brady seems to be you can find ways to to run read um, run um rpos without having to run the quarterback particularly yeah. you know. and so yes I, I do think having i do think it's really a durability concern with teddy and i do think donald potentially opens the door to a more read option type approach at times i don't think that has to be there like it, you know like one of the things phil snow's talked a lot about is is the idea and we'll talk about this in a second more but you know they're going to t- tinker defensively in training camp. They're going to try things and see how they work. I think yeah. if you go into training camp, you try the read option stuff. If you're not comfortable running Sam Darnold, that doesn't mean you have to give up on the RPO stuff. That, that's something that adds value to the RPOs, not as fundamental to the RPOs, if that makes sense. That makes sense. It makes sense. You know, I, it was just something, honestly, you know, I, I sit around when I'm riding in my car going to and fro, like I, I'd be thinking about this stuff and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, you know, but, um, but, you know, it made me think, you know, you see some of the footage of Sam running. Um, I think I saw somebody, you know, post uh, a um, a video of him, you know, running a short yard, a short yardage read option mm-hmm. play. And he's really a hammer, you know, when he gets going. Um, and I was like, man, you know, I would love to see Sam doing that. I, I would be hyped if I saw him do that during the season, because I know that once you run a power play like that, you know, with your quarterback, you know, then all of a sudden he's weaponized. And I remember going back to last year. Joe Brady saying that, you know, he he would like to weaponize all of his players, you know, on offense. And, you know, if you can weaponize your QB, you know, Sam Donald isn't the most athletic quarterback, you know, in the NFL by far. Um, I think he ran like a 4-8-40, uh, you know. That's you know, okay. You know, and, you know, but but he is willing, you know, mm-hmm. and he runs hard and, you know, and he will lower the boom, you know, probably to his detriment. <laughs> Uh, if he did it too often, but, you know, but he's, you know, he, I think he grew up playing linebacker in high school. And so he's willing to hit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if, if we got a guy who's willing to, you know, to lower the boom and, you know, get an extra yard or two, I think it just puts defenses on alert. And if you can run some read option and then you start doing some RPO off of that. Now I think defenses are on their heels, especially, you know, because you got the playmakers, um, you know, Chris McCaffrey being the first threat, you know, to allow you to do that effectively in the first place. But then at the receiving level, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, now, you know, with their abilities that they already have anyway, now they're getting the ball in space and making people uh, make business decisions in space. And, you know, and you have the, you have defenses compromised. That's been, and, and those little things, you know, if they can happen, and, and it should apply to any quarterback that we bring in to Carolina. But, you know, those little things are the reasons I believe Sam Donald 
can improve you know with this offense but I really think it's dependent on uh, not just him but you know Joe Brady um, you know simply doing what you said being more of himself you know with yeah. this personnel uh, I'm interested to see if he can do it you know I, I want to see yeah, no, I'm sure. if the downside is is that if he is really good you know with Sam Donald and there's you know this like this reclamation success with Sam Donald you know as a quarterback then Joe Brady would probably be like the top head coach candidate going into the offseason yeah I mean that, that, that's just one of the the realities of if, if your if your offensive play caller is not your head coach that's just a reality you have to deal with like you know. I know I know and so that and that's one of the downsides you know if if Joe Brady is that you know if he makes the leap and then as a result, Sam Donald takes the lead. Then next year we we'll be having a new offensive coordinator. Uh, it would be nice if they were, you know, just in a we move off of this. But it'd be nice if they had someone in house, you know, maybe like a Sean Ryan um, as a QB. I think um, elevated to that role. Who, who's the uh, no? no uh, who's the uh, running backs coach? Jeff Nixon. Is it Nixon? Yeah, is that Matt Rule? I think he's been the one that's been with Matt Rule for a little while. Yeah, I think he would be the. I think he would be the in-house. He would be the. Yeah, I think he called plays at Baylor. I think you're right. You're right. That's the that's the person I couldn't think of, but you're right. It's it's yeah. He was the co-offensive coordinator at Baylor, so I I think yeah the running backs coach. I think he would be the the in-house option to replace Brady if he left. Well, that would be nice, you know. I mean that even you know like i just hope that you know since they already know that there's interest in joe brady that whoever that person is if it's nixon you know that he's preparing himself to understand the playbook and play calling to the degree where he can actually call games next year if they need him to do that you know it'd be nice to to have continuity for sam especially since we know we already exercise his fifth year option um so if he has some success you know i want to to keep him in a position where he can continue to build on their success with somebody in-house. Yeah, I, th- I think the fact that Matt Rule was quite clear on his value, his valuation on the sort of the same short passing offense. I think whoever comes in and run a similar style offense, they're not going to just tear it. They're, they're, they, even if it's not the same offense, it will be very similar. Okay. Well, I mean, so that's, you know, that's Joe Brady. You know, that's, you know, to hoping that he can improve upon his, his rookie season as offense coordinator. He has more tools to play with. He has more, you know, more guys to to put in his formations and his schemes, you know. But you know, the the most crucial part of this offense, um, besides the quarterback and Chris McCaffrey, is the collective offensive line unit. Yeah. Where do you think we stand with this offensive line, man? You know, it's it's. I know we signed Taylor Moten to his deal, and we talked about that already, you know. But behind Taylor Moten, you know, what do you think about the state of where we are with the offensive line? I think it's just really hard to say. I mean, I, I think you can sort of go, you know, Taylor Moni is going to start a right tackle. Matt Paradis is going to start at centre. Yeah. It's not clear who the other three starters are going to be. Um, I, I think it seems, my guess would be that the, the, the sort of the, the day one training camp starters would be Cam Irving at left tackle, Pat Elfline at left guard and John Miller at right guard. But That's I think what, what I and I think what, what, what I think is then going to happen is, Whereas, you know, I've written an article about this, which will come out Tuesday, I think. Um, and I think one of the comments I made in there is, if this was a Ron Rivera team, that would be the team that would start week one. 
Yeah, Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera would just stick with that. He would stick with vets. proven, proven yeah. veteran guys, even if they're not great, just stick with that. I think hopefully, I think what we have seen at this point with Matt Rule is that they are willing to play young players when young players justify being played. And yeah. I think what we are, are therefore relatively likely to see is that that will be the week, you know, that will be the training camp, you know, day one type offensive line. Yeah. And then I think you know, probably with Trent Scott being sort of the guy who can play multiple spots and be sort of the utility backup. And then it will be down to young players to show that they are worthy of starting roles. Um, I think one thing that... Like Moore and Brown, right? You know, like... Yeah. I would love to see them be a right and left left guard. I would love to see them man the guard positions. I think Moore is probably more of a longer-term project. As in, I, I... I think he'd have to do something pretty outstanding to start this year. I think he's a, he's probably a guy who is fighting to make the roster. And if he doesn't make the roster, he's a guy that gets a priority practice squad spot and you bring in, you know, he, he hasn't played football for a year and a half. He's technically really raw. He's got loads of talent, but has come from a, you know, HBCU and, and probably, uh, I mean, Grambling are a fairly established, you know, they have produced some, some pro talent in the past, but like he is, he is technically not developed yet. He needs yeah. work. And he's so he's, yeah. he's, he's more of a guy for 2022. Um, and it's about whether he, he spends 2021 on the practice squad or the active roster is probably more how good he shows himself to be, basically. Well, let me ask um, you this question. I mean, we're talking about these guys. You know, one guy that's kind of lost in all of these offensive line conversations and not the one that, we, that most people think about in Little is, is um, Dennis Daly. Yeah. You think he has an opportunity to like earn a, a starting role across the offensive line, like at right guard and left guard? I think he I think he is the guy that has the chance to start at all three spots. Like I I, I think he will get some looks at left tackle. Um I think one thing that I will say about the the Taylor Moten signing is that by re-signing Taylor Moten, what you do is you eradicate the we need to be preparing a right tackle in case Moten leaves bit. Right. And so obviously. I think Dennis Daly, Trent Scott, and probably even Greg Little, Cam Irving, Brady Christensen, they will all take reps at right tackle, I would imagine. But those are more what happens if Taylor Moten gets injured reps than they're not trying to compete to start their insurance reps. Whereas, and so what that means is like Brady Christensen, I think they see as a guard. Like I, I, I think, you know, he, he is someone who I think has a real chance to start. I mean, partly because he's an older guy that, you know, He'll be 25 in September, I think. You know, he, yeah. He's not a guy that you develop for a year or two and hope he's starting year three, age 27. If he's going to start, it's going to have to be this year or next. So I think he he's going to have a real chance to win a starting guard spot. Um, I don't think he's really part of the left tackle conversation. I think the left tackle conversation is probably Cam Irving, Trent Scott, Dennis Daly, Greg Little. I think that's it. And I the think they part about that though, man. And like, if, if that's the real, if, if that's the actual left tackle conversation, then to me that tells me that we're going to be in the market for a left tackle in twenty twenty two. I I I think the the one I th- I think again this thing is over in the place, but the one the one solution that is a long term one is Greg. That doesn't mean that he should start or that he's the best one. But of all the other three guys, they're starting. If they start this year, it's a short term option. Like. Yeah. Cam Irving is not the long-term left tackle for the Carolina Panthers. Trent know. Scott is not the long-term left tackle for the Carolina Panthers. I know. <laughs> Dennis Daly might be the long-term guard, but I don't think he's, you know, he was pretty solid as a rookie playing left tackle, but he very much looks like a left tackle. You know, he's a tackle who is a guard. You know, he, right. he, it, it's, 
it's, I can't remember if you, you you remember when Trey Turner ended up having to play tackle due to injuries. It's a bit like that. Like it, it's it's a guy who's doing the job okay, but it's it's clearly not his job. Um, yeah. I, I I'm not I, I certainly don't expect Brad Little to come in and just tell you. Know, I, I think he's had. I think this is his year that he takes the leap or he doesn't. Um, I don't I don't think I'm he's going to get another chance. I'm still little. It would it would do me better. You know, as a as a, I mean, I want the best guy to play left tackle. Period, point blank. But I think Greg Little has had a a rough start to his career. Like we mentioned earlier, you know, in this series, you know, this this year, Greg Little has all the tools. He has all the tools. Yeah. People, you know, we people have written him off. Most of the Panthers fans have written him off. He has the tools, but he has to take the mentality that. And play like he is good as his skill set says he he can be. Yeah. And if he does that, what you said is true. He's the only one amongst the four that you mentioned for left tackle that can be a long term solution. So that's why I'm rooting for him. Because yeah, I think I think to me, when you solidify a position like that, that's the more flexibility you can have to go out and get better in other areas. Um, and it probably means that you, you know that you're going to have some success. Um, if you can have, you know, now you have Taylor Moten on the right side. If you can have a great little, you know, on the left side, then, you know, then you can kind of figure out the interior positions. You still need a good center. Um, but I, I want him to, I want him to elevate and I, I don't want him to get washed out this year. I think, yeah, no, I, I think the best, not actually the, the, the most likely, and I, I really stress this is not actually the most likely thing, but the best case scenario for the Panthers is great little starting at left tackle because that, it, 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 well, unless the coaching staff are doing it out of sort of whimsy, but but if yeah. if, if if he is the best left tackle in camp, that's the best solution because if we know what Cam Irving is as a professional football player, which is a solid guard who can just about play tackle, right. you know, if he's the best left tackle, that means you have not got a good left tackle, right? Yeah, you know, I, I, I could be proved wrong on this, but it's unlikely that Cam Irving suddenly becomes a franchise left tackle. No, I agree. Um, I agree. And and so it, I think the best case scenario is probably you have little attack left tackle, and then some combination of Dennis Daly, Deontay Brown, and Brady Christensen at guard with um, uh, Paradis and Moten at the other two spots. I, I think oh. if I, I think what I, what I really hope doesn't happen is that Dennis Daly ends up getting dragged deep into the left tackle competition because it's going wrong, and yes. therefore. And therefore, he ends up not being used at his better spot because it's one of those things where, like, he was drafted. You know, he played left tackle at South Carolina. Um, yeah. Played, ends up having to play left tackle as a rookie at times because of injury. It was right. decent, but ultimately, it's clear he had does just you know, he just can't cover enough space at times. Like his his absolute ceiling is just not quite good. Right. Um, and then last year, injury kind of derailed his chance to win a starting guard spot. I think he. Although he he might not be the guy who ends up starting week one at left guard, I think he should probably he's probably the most likely player to end up starting at left guard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if I was guessing right now what the offensive line would be, I would say it's Cam Irving, Dennis Daly, Matt Paradis, Brady Christensen, uh, Taylor Moten. I I think John Miller has a real chance at right guard just to keep his spot. I mean, again, if you're a returning starter, it takes something to displace you right. yeah but again he's on a one-year contract with almost no guaranteed money like he is 
you know, it's a bit like JJ Janssen, where you look at the the contract and you go, that's a player who is not assured of their role. Because, right. you know, you, you don't, you know, I think, I think um, John Miller has something like 110,000 guaranteed on his contract. Yeah, I mean. And, which and is, that, which that, is that, for a returning starter yeah. is peanuts. That, that is, yeah. we might cut you type contract. And, yeah, and they might. That's the cost of, that's the cost of being a camp body, you know. And, yeah. and honestly, if they can find two guys that can be as effective as him at right guard, then he'll be gone. Yeah, because I think one thing that he, I think both one thing that both him and Dennis Daly really suffer for is that they are not position flexible at all. Not Dennis Daly, um, Greg Little, sorry, excuse Greg me, Little, yeah, Greg Little, yeah. like, like Greg Little is a tackle. He is not a guard. He's not a center. He is a tackle. And in the same way that John Miller is not a center, he's not a tackle. He's a guard. Like you, right. you know, that is all he is going to be. And so if he is not starting at guard, all he can be is a backup guard. Whereas Pat Elfline can play center and guard. Trent Scott can play tackle and guard, you know, Brady Christensen says he can play all five, but can certainly play guard and tackle. Um, yeah. Deontay Brown is probably another guy who is guard only. Yeah, um, probably go bar. I mean, both guard positions he could play. Yeah, and John Miller could play left guard as well. So they're, they're probably fairly similar. I, I, I mean, Deontay Brown, again, his weight is going to be a big thing. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Panthers clearly buy into the sort of nutrition and sports science side of things, as they should, in my opinion. Right. Um, and I think if Deontay Brown comes into camp at 360, I, it's going to be an uphill battle. If he's yeah. 345 and below, that's very good. If he's 345, 355, that's kind of okay. So yeah. I think the, Pan- the Panthers want him, if nothing else, they want him to show that he can keep his weight under control. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it, it, there's not that many certainties. I think Pat Elfine is going to make the roster. I think Cam Irving makes the roster. I don't think they they they, they, they were so proactive in getting free agency that I can't imagine they cut them. Paradis and Moten make the roster. Um, I think Brady Christensen makes the roster. Um, other than that, it's kind of who fills out the other four or five spots. And I think there's I think Dennis Daly probably makes the roster. I'd be amazed if he got cut. So yeah. there's probably three or four spots up for grabs and three starting spots up for grabs. And it, it really is it's. It's one of those things where because there are so many guys who are potentially able to play multiple spots. Yeah. You know, if Cam Irving loses the left tackle battle, he then becomes a genuine part of the guard battle. Same with Dennis right. Daly, same with Trent Scott. Like, yeah. You know, it, it, you know, Greg Little is the only guy who wouldn't just immediately become part of the guard conversation if he doesn't win the left tackle spot. And that probably, so, like you said, it makes him a little bit more expendable unless he really steps it up. Yeah, no, he, he, I, I don't think it's not quite at the point where he starts or he gets cut. But it's probably yeah. not far from it. Like right. he, 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 he has to take a real step because he, all he, you know, it's like last year when he didn't play, he was often inactive because he can't. All he can do is play tackle. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm wrong. I really like Greg Little. I, I really liked him coming out of college. I was very high on him. I think he has an insane amount of talent, and I think it's been incredibly frustrating to watch him not put it together for two years. Yeah. And it's not all his fault, I will stress that, but he you he is not going to get another chance. If 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 he doesn't put it together this year, we're not going to be having this conversation in a year's time. You know, no, I, I, I think did. I think Ian Thomas is just about the only player who has been able to to enter year four where there's where where we're legitimately still having the will he put it together conversation. And to right. be fair, he he's had a lot of not bad luck, but you know, he was stuck behind Greg Holes for two years. Then last year was all, you know, he's it, it, a bit of extenuating circumstances. Generally, you get three years to put it together in the NFL. Yeah. 
Yeah. You don't you I don't get that. four. You, you certainly don't get five. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 know you by year four. <laughs> yeah. Uh or year three, they know you. They know you by year three and 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 the NFL has pretty much made this decision on you by year four. Hmm. Um okay, you know, that's we pretty much cover all of the important areas of the offense. Switching yeah. gears to the defense, you know, obviously we mentioned um the new additions on defense, you know, the new toys that Phil Snow has to play with. Um, you know, like which are the ones, you know, that we've added are the most intriguing to you? Which are the, the new additions are most intriguing to you? And, and you know, and how do you see Phil Snow tinkering around with those pieces? I think that's really, that's sort of, for me, the sort of the two are sort of joined together as a question, that it's, it's not just who is there, but how they're used. Um, okay. I still, I, you know, I, I wrote a piece that came out in the right report a couple of weeks ago about the sort of defensive scheme. And if I'm honest, I spent about three weeks thinking about it and I'm still thinking about it and I still aren't quite clear in my mind how it's going to look. I think right. you're probably going to see two, maybe three clearly different defensive looks. You know, I, I, think, I think the base is going to be Derek Brown and Daquan Jones with Hassan Reddick and Brian Burns either side of them. Okay. So and then you probably... Yeah, and then you're probably I'm probably thinking to have, I guess Shaq Thompson and Denzel Perryman um, yes. behind them, and then I think you probably have Chin, Burris, Bouye, Jackson, and um, Horn. I think that's probably going to be the like base defense. Okay. So it's so it's like a nickel defense with. Chin and, uh, and Burris kind of having that flexibility of high-low safety. Bouye plays the slot and you have Horn and Jackson on the outside. And I okay. think part of the reason why I think this is, is one of the things the Panthers, both when I spoke to, to Frank Ocam um, during OTAs and when Phil Snow spoke to the media in general, I think solidity defensively inside is something they really value. Like they, they want big bodies who can stop the run inside. I think it's no surprise that they've asked Shaq to add weight this offseason. And 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 that they brought in Denzel Perryman, who is very much like a two down thumper type guy. Like he wrong. Yeah. he's he, he's actually a very good coverage player. It's just that right. he he is very particular in what he can do from a coverage standpoint. Like he is not going to play man coverage. If you want to play man, it is not going to be with Denzel Perryman. Um, right. At least not he's to a high level. He, yeah. he's, he's 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 a very astute zone defender. Again, does not make me plays in the full ball. It's not going to generate loads of interceptions, but is where he needs to be. He's very aware of who's coming in and out of his zone. He's very good at taking away throws. He doesn't create many turnovers. So, like, he's just really solidly good at what he does. I think if you, what you'll probably see from that front is you'll, you I think what it also does is if you look, go and look at what Philston did at Baylor, what they did is they had loads of DBs on the field, but then they also had linebackers whose job was just to stop the run. They had three big bodies and they had two linebackers, and that five-man front combined with different blitzes from the secondary that allowed them to shut the run down despite playing effectively, you know, six DBs all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, they are going to continue to play six DBs a lot of the time, or at least five DBs a lot of the time. Um, yeah. And I think particularly when you have Reddick and Burns on the edge, you need to be really solid in the middle because those guys can play against the run, you know, but what they're not going to do is they're not going to compact things. And so what you really need to do is create this really solid interior that then pushes things out to that, that ability to cover things on the outside. They want to force runs outside where Burns and Reddick can clean them up, you know, right. or, or, or where they can cut in from the backside of the play. They're not going to sort of stack and shed at the point of attack time. Right. And so I think you're going to have this kind of weird 
base defense of a tree that's really beefy and run focused on the inside and then very pass focused on the edge and in the second. Yeah. Um, I think they're then going to pair that with like, I think they are going to have a clear, it's time to rush the pass and out package. Right. Uh, I, w- I would not be shocked if you see effectively like either you get sort of a, I think there'll be times where they bring in Davion Nexon um, as yeah. a three tech. I think in, yeah. in they'll road that, that'll be their more sort of conventional four, three front where he can be that more natural three tech. Whereas effectively so he, Daquan, he will replace a Daquan Jones in that scenario, correct? Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, again, it's not clear how they'll rotate in exactly. I still think there's some real battles to be won, particularly on the defensive line depth. Um, you know, you've got. I, I'd be surprised if they kept both Phil Hoskins and Bravion Nix, um, Bravion Roy. I think that's a that's something of a battle there. I think to be that sort of like third run stuffer, um, yeah. and then you've also got a battle. You know, if you look at sort of the edge guys, I, I think Marquis Haynes is probably safe after his season last year. But you know, you've got Frankie Louvu who they brought in. You've got Christian Miller. You've got guys who can you know be that sort of versatile. You know, three, four, four, three sort of edge linebacker guy. Right. And I think there'll, you know, I think there'll be times where they definitely bring in Gross Matos and Morgan Fox as three techs. Right. I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure whether they play a four-man front with both of them on the field, but I think you'll definitely see three-man fronts where it's either like uh, Derek Brown, Fox, Gross Matos, Reddick, and Burns, or you know, some kind, something like that, where it's you know, goes to that's more of a most, three. Yeah, goes that's to that the most intriguing front for me is to see, yeah, that, you know, that five lined up across the front. Yeah, I think I think in clear passing situations, you're going to see a lot of Morgan Fox in particular, and probably Gross Matos as well. Um, yeah, I think they, you know, their most effective interior pass rusher last year by a mile was Efe Abada, who was a who who was a, a big defensive end playing D tackle, yeah. and I think they are going to use that exact same thing as well. I think they're going to bring in. I mean, Gross Matos, you from everything Franco Cam said, he's added five or ten pounds. He is bigger. He's right. His body. He is better suited to play that role now. I don't think they really got what they wanted. Um, uh, I've got whitehead. Who was the defensive end they brought in? It's going blank. Uh, who they cut? Who was that? The defensive end from Minnesota. Who they cut? Oh, yeah. you're talking about um, you're talking about um, Weatherly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same weather. That's it. Yeah, sorry, my mind completely blanked. They're saying like, yeah, you know, I think they wanted more of him. Austria. I think Morgan Fox is going to be an upgrade over him. Um, yeah, I th- I, Morgan Fox, I think, is actually a really technically sound and rigorous player, and I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see how he's used. But yeah, I, I think that the, the big thing is going to be one how they rotate that front, and then how I think there are a couple of positions that are up for rotation in, in that sort of secondary. Partly they'll move between nickel and dime a lot, but also I think you know I'm not sure Burris plays every snap. Um, I definitely think Perryman won't play every snap, and how they bring in guys like Jermaine Carter. Keith Taylor, Sean Melvin, Troy Pride, Miles Hartsfield, Sam Franklin, Kenny Robinson, they, they are all going to have a chance during training camp to, to, to establish themselves as part of one of the packages. And they won't all get, I don't think they'll all get used, but they'll be, you know, I think the hope is that a handful of those guys will, will, will show themselves to be really good, useful players who can play a particular role. Whether that's Franklin coming player, in. Man. The crazy part is of what you just mentioned, you know, it's like you mentioned like all of those guys as you know coming in to be part of like rotational packages and they all were solid that's something you yeah. couldn't say last year you know which no. is a big improvement from last year oh yeah and don't get me wrong i don't think all of them will be solid i think what will happen is they'll try these guys out in different ways during training camp and preseason, 
and they'll work yeah. out the, the sort of the four or five guys who can really make an impact. I think Perryman is clearly going to be one of them. I think Burris will be right. as well. I think Jermaine Carter has a pretty good chance of seeing the field quite a bit. I think he's a slightly... Yeah. I don't think he's that different from Perryman, but I think he is a, a, a better athlete in space. I think he offers more upside in coverage. Um, right. I think they really like Keith Taylor. Like, I... You know, not necessarily like he's going to start every game type guy, but I think yeah. they were they were really happy to get him in the fifth round. Same with Davion Nixon. I think they were they were they were really chuffed to get both those guys. Um, yeah. I, I, and I'm I interested. Think, I haven't seen. No, honestly, I haven't seen Keith Taylor play oh, much at he, all. Like I don't watch he, a lot of. He cannot catch the ball for anything. Like he cannot catch the ball. <laughs> um, it, it's 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 even worse than Bradbury, but. Um, <laughs> But that being said, he's a six-three corner who can get in your yeah. face, who can be physical and press people. Um, yeah, I'm excited I, about that. I'm excited about his his physicality. You know, his his actual physical you know stature, and you know, and, and if he can play press, and you have JCO on the other side playing press, like we have the potential of having really good press corners for the next you know three years at least. You know, if he can actually um, get a spot yeah. on the roster. You know, so no, I. I, I think he gets a spot on the roster. I think I'm not sure exactly what his ceiling. I don't. I don't think he's ever going to be the number two corner. Yeah. But I think if what he's happens, what happens to, to Troy Pride in all of this, I think. I mean, the issue is he's been injured during quite a bit of OTAs, which has kind of made it. I think he's the guy. I think the guys who are under a lot of pressure in that sort of second group are him, Stan Thomas Oliver, and Kenny Robinson. And yeah. and I mean, Sam Franklin is kind of in this kind of weird bit where he is sort of very different from everybody they've got apart from Jeremy Chin. Like yeah. Sam Franklin is, is yeah, he's that, he's that linebacker safety hybrid guy who is kind of one of a type apart from Chin. And so if you want to back up for Chin, Sam Franklin has kind of got this niche as, as if nothing else, the Jeremy Chin backup. Um, right. I think Miles Hartsfield, again, has a versatility of he can play slot and he can play safety and he can play running back. I think they kind right. of can't keep experimenting with that. Um, I think Kenny Robinson is a guy who is more, you know, he's not a man coverage. He, he is a zone coverage safety. He is a, either a deep two or a center field type safety who, who is, is not going to come in and play much man. He's, he's one of the least flexible in that type in the same way that Troy Pride and Stan Thomas Oliver are corners. They're not corner safety hybrids, they're corners. Um, right. And so I think, there's potentially going to be a competition towards the bottom of the depth chart. I think probably, I'd guess, I mean, it, it's a little bit, it'll be interesting because um, Bouye's got a two-week suspension to start with. So, no, so I'm, I'm interested to see who they start out with, especially in like nickel packages. I like, think it will probably be one of Rashawn Melvin or Keith Taylor would be my guess. I think it will depend on personnel as well. Yeah. Um, like who you're going up against. Like if you've got a small, speedy guy, don't stick Keith Taylor on him. Like, you know, yeah. That probably is where like uh Troy Pride and Stan Thompson Oliver have more an advantage. I, I think probably for week one, I would imagine uh the battle is more between Rashawn Melvin, Troy Pride and Stan Thomas Oliver. I think one of those guys gets cut in the initial yeah. roster cutdowns, and yeah. then another one gets cut to make way for Bouvier after two weeks. To come back, yeah. I so it's then there's kind of like a two-stage battle where one is, which I think it's probably good. I don't think they'd go with like three, like five young guys. So I think it's probably going to be between uh, Stan Thompson Oliver and Troy Pride. There's a fairly direct. A previous cut. 
Yes. Yeah, for who gets cut. And and then it'll be a battle between the winner of that and probably Rashawn Melvin. Um, who stays beyond that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which is because, yeah, I think I'd be surprised. I think Melvin has the advantage that with Bouye suspended for two weeks, I don't think they're going to have five rookie, five corners on rookie contracts. Uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think you're going to have Dante Jackson as the veteran in the room. Like, you're not going to have, because otherwise it's Keith Taylor, JC Horn, Troy Pride, and Sam Thomas Oliver. And that's like four of the five guys are in year one or two. Like, I, I don't yeah. think they do that. So I, I think Melvin probably stays week one. Um, whether he stays after Bouye comes back, I don't know. No, I mean, I can I can live with all of that, and it makes total sense. You know, that's why this training camp is going to be so so crucial. You know, for a lot of these guys because you know it's their real first opportunity to show the staff you know what they can do, how they fit within you know their desired scheme. You know, Phil Snow. You know, this year he has players who can. Um, allow him to play defense the way that he wants to play it. You know, that's why J.C. Horn was the first pick of the draft for the Panthers. Um, and then, you know, they intentionally went out and got Bouye. They got Rashad Melvin. You know, they they went out and got players, um, Keith Taylor, like you mentioned, um, that allowed for them to play the style that Phil Snow wants to play. And so it's going to be interesting to see you know, he made so you know so many great strides with them later in the season. Now he gets to go into year two in this scheme, adding talent, and you know, and 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 hopefully he can apply pressure from the very start this year versus you know how it had to develop last year because you know there were points last year where we had Miles um, Hartfield, uh, Stanley Thomas, Oliver, and guys like Troy Pride on the field, like competing against Julio Jones, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and, and Calvin Ridley, you know. So you just don't want to have to deal with, you know, those type of scenarios. And I think this year we won't have to deal with that. So that's encouraging. And the last, you know, interesting topic. Now that we've, um, you know, talked about the defense, you know, we talked about the offense. I said early in the offseason that I wouldn't take the Carolina Panthers seriously until we found ourselves a kicker. Yeah. And it wasn't a slight against Joey Sly because I actually think Joey Sly has, you know, a very powerful leg and, you know, he was put in some really tough situations last year. I noticed that you wrote an article this past week on the kicker, on Joey Sly particularly. And what you found was that he really wasn't all that bad. You know, can you elaborate? on your joy slide findings, please, sir. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So I wrote a piece looking at trying like, developing like a, a metric for kickers. So what the piece was looking at is how you can you can use historic data to to basically weight the value of field goals at different distances. So for example, like historically when we look at kicker valuation, people look at field goal percentage. And the issue with that is it values a 20 yard field goal and a 55 yard field goal the same when they're not so like the 20 yard field goal is just fundamentally less valuable even if it's worth a same number of points it is less valuable in terms of from a player perspective than the 55 yard field goal so what the article is please go and read it if you haven't already by the way um it is i took the like, last five years worth of field goal data um and from that i fitted it and and uh, created a, a valuation so basically a function that, that converts distance into value for field goals and using this you can then look at how players convert value rather than how they convert field goal attempts. So 
one you can create sort of like how much value they add above their replacement but you can then look at what is it from a given distance what what field goal percentage would the average nfl kicker kick and therefore is a player above or below the nfl average overall or at a given distance and so what what i found was basically that joey sly is pretty much as average as you can get like he is he is like pretty much spot on the nfl average overall in his case it's a bit weird because he's very very good under 50 yards and has been very poor over 50 yards but part of that has been the fact that he's attempted basically so field goals where the nfl expected field goal percentage is like one or two percent you know he he had multiple attempts like nfl record field goals last year so he you know his field goal percentage beyond 50 yards is partly a result of, you know, he just hasn't attempted many 50 to 50 yard, five yard field goals. He hasn't been particularly good when he has, but it's because he's attempted like four or five field goals over two seasons in this five yard range. You know, it, it, next year, potentially, you know, one thing that would make his numbers look an awful lot better is if he got more attempts between 50 to 55 yards. You know, if, if he gets to, you know, and obviously teams don't get to choose the distance of their field goals. You, know, you are where you are on the field. Right. Sometimes it's 57 and sometimes it's 48. And, you know, it just happens to be that way. But if he can get a whole load of attempts from sort of 52, 53, I think the way he's viewed as a kicker might change. I think also it's clear that they've made a real attempt to to buy into sort of mindfulness and um, the sort of psychological approach to kicking with him. And and that could pay dividends. Like, you know, his, it's clear that for kickers, it's as much mental as it is physical. Um, oh, right. yeah. so, so, so for him, you know, there is a potential for him to for this to make real difference. I'm not saying it will or it won't. I don't know, but I'm not going to dismiss improvement from him. I think even yeah, if he no doesn't, problem. even if he doesn't improve, though, he is an average player, not a bad. Yeah, I think Joy Sly has been about as good as the quarterback play we've had for the last two years. Oh no, he's, right. he's been better than he's been. Uh, he's probably more, more 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 in line with Teddy Bridgewater than than Carl Allen. Like he, and, yeah. and, I, and I think that's what I'm really trying to say. You know, it's like, you know, like, you know, we complained a lot about Teddy last year. Well, most fans complained a lot about Teddy last year. Um, you know, but, you know, he's probably like right dead average in terms of the NFL quarterback in terms of ability and production. Um, you know, you know, and so the reason why people fell out of love with Teddy so quickly is because when it came down to the clutch situations, late game situations, Teddy just didn't push us over the top. And a lot of that wasn't directly on him, but it, but he's quarterback, he gets to blame. Same thing happens with a kicker. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are for the field goals that you're expected to make. At the end of the game, when the game is on the line, you know, Sometimes he had 60 plus yards, you know, to attempt, you know, and then and other times he had 54 yards to attempt. But we came up short or came up wide right or left, you know, in those cases um, too often. Um, going back to the Saints game last year in 2019 to where I think people just kind of like, hey, you know, can Joyce Sly actually do this? Um, we know he has the leg. And I think, you know, that's probably part of his situation is he came in as this big legged kicker that everybody was kind of looking forward to booming you know 50 plus yard field goals and we know he has plenty of leg to do it 
And so when you get to the end of games, you know, you see a, a field goal attempt that's, you know, within, let's say, you know, 55 yards, then you kind of expect him to make it because you know he can kick it that far, you know, but yeah, I think I, that's the mental part of the game, you know, that you mentioned, you know, the psychological piece um, where if they can help him in that way, then, you know, since he's already kind of league average, you know, based on the metrics, he can actually get better. Yeah. Um, I, I would also point out that, that, was that fans used to complain a lot about Graham Gano, and Graham Gano was, based on this metric, the most valuable kicker in the NFL last year. So, so <laughs> and, I, I, and I hate it. I hate it because I know I love Graham. I love Graham Gano, man. You know, and um, and I I remember the all of the tantrums thrown towards Graham, and I was like, I remember back then thinking to myself, I was like, I think Graham is going to be one of those guys where they're actually going to miss him when he's gone. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was weird. Like after I sort of published the piece, there were people sort of um, talking a lot about the decision to cut Harrison Butker, and I think people right. forget how much how long ago that was. Like Harrison Butker yes. was cut four years ago, and right. the issue was not like cutting Butker for Gano was a good decision. Like Gano is legit, even if he's not the very best kicker, he has consistently been one of the two or three best kickers in football over the last yeah. five years. He was injured for one year and they cut him because they thought he was still hurt. And he turned out not to be and had an excellent season and they've been very good. Right. But it, right. it, it's not this binary choice between Joey Sly and Harrison Butker because that was never the decision that was made. They cut Harrison Butker for yeah. Brent Renault and then two years later, they signed Joey Sly as a practice squad kicker or a yes. training camp kicker. Graham Gano gets hurt. Joey Sly starts for a year, is decent, and they cut Graham Gano. So there was yeah. a three-year gap between them cutting Butker and them cutting Gano. And like, right. I think people sort of forget the timeline a bit and think that they've kind of opted for Sly over Butker. Right. Graham Gano was really good. The issue is they thought he was hurt and he wasn't. I think that is really the crux. Or they didn't want to pay him his money. Because Graham Gano is... I mean... He's one of the best kickers in football and has been for a while. Yeah, yeah Graham Gano's situation in 2020, you know, was a lot like... Cam Newton situation in 2020, just at a lesser popularity level, um, you know, yeah. where they didn't trust the help. They decided to go with a different guy. Um, and they probably were more accurate in Cam's case than Graham's case, to tell you the truth. And yeah, then, not in hindsight, you know, um, just because Graham went out and had a really, really, really great season um in new york compared to you know camp season in new england um and no i'm not going to get on that today no, but um, graham Gano was the most valuable kicker in football last year yeah that's like, all i'm like, saying you know yeah, that his, his season as a kicker um coming off injury was better than Cam's season as a quarterback in new england um coming off his injury concerns and so um and so that's all i'm saying you know oh, yeah, we yeah. all love cam <laughs> you know just for the ones who still listening uh, but, you know, that's just a fact. And so, um, but, you know, that's, you know, that was the last, you know, real true topic, you know, that we wanted to talk about. We talked about Sam Donald, um, you know, and, and how he may look, you know, what it would take for him, you know, for him to improve in this offense. We talked about um, the tight ends, you know, that we've added, you know, and the one that is the ones that are currently here, you know, from previous um, regimes and, and how they may look as a group. We talked about the wide receiver depth. You know who's on the fringe of being cut. You know, you know versus the ones that we know are going to be our starters. Talked about the offensive line and you know some of the uh, you know some of the, the fluctuations that can occur there. You know, 
um, Joe Brady, you know, how he may develop new toys on defense and feel snow and what, you know, those schemes may look like, you know, and, 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 and how those players may be incorporated. And then, you know, last but not least, Joey Sly, ball don't slide. And so, uh, you know, a lot of things to look forward to this week and next week um, at training camp. I actually plan on making a cameo um, later this week, you know, if, if I can get there, you know, but I will be in Spartanburg, you know, late in the week, um, heading to Charleston in a roundabout way. And um, I plan to stop by if I can get there. I'm sure you'll be busy, you know, this week, you know, with yes. press conferences maybe. And, um, and so, man, you know, just a lot of stuff to look forward to. Um, you know, season is, you know, not right around the corner, but at least, you know, we're about to get some activity and it's going to be pretty much a full slate between, you know, now and September. So it's exciting times, you know, to be a, a Carolina Panthers football fan, an NFL football fan, you know, it, and, you know, it, like you said, you know, earlier before we started recording, you know, it's just, it came really quickly. I thought it was going to take a little bit longer to get here, but it's, we're back. Yeah. And I'm excited. Um, you know, before we go, you know, as we mentioned early on, you know, please don't forget to uh, rate, review, and subscribe, you know, to Scouting the Culture. Uh, this was kind of a impromptu episode, you know, but I've enjoyed, you know, having a conversation with Vince. You know, I've missed my guy, you know, for the last couple of months. And, um, you know, so I don't know when we may come around again to talk about football, but it's been good catching up. You know, if you're yeah. still here, you know, after all this time on this episode, you know, that's great. You know, we don't, mean to be long but you know we always have a lot of content it always ends up that way right it just ends up that way you know i guess we just like talking football together so uh but it's always a pleasure um if you would like to interact with us you know you can find us on twitter um me at panthers culture and for vincent you can find him at v richardson 444 on twitter you know feel free to send us questions you know ask us anything related to the Panthers and we do our best to to get back with you um, again thank you for taking time to listen um, to this episode and look forward for any updates on when we may do something again um, it's been a pleasure as always keep pounding 